0: Welcome to Gal Talk, a new show for women with an emphasis on discussing the cares and concerns of life from the perspective of women of color. Gal Talk is not just talk, gal is an acronym for Get A Life. That's life with a capital L as in life in Jesus. We're not just here to talk, but to share with you wisdom you can trust. Now what we will say will sound like it's countercultural cultural at times because it is. God's wisdom is often opposite of what we want to do. It's the hard thing to do a lot of times, but it's the thing that will bring us peace and contentment that other advice will not give us. Join us on this countercultural journey. Hello Galaxy, we're back at it again. My name is Angelica Jackson and I am the Gal Talk host. In case some of you didn't know, every month we host a book club. And in honor of Asian-American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month, we decided to read More Than Serving Tea, Asian-American women on expectations, relationships, leadership, and faith. I 10 out of 10 recommend this book. And if you're interested, which you will be after this episode, the link will be in the description. Tonight, we have the honor of one of the authors actually joining us. Kathy, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Sure. My name is Kathy Kong, and I am a mother of three young adults who are all now in their 20s, who are much younger when I wrote More Than Serving Tea. I live out in the Midwest. It is summer today. Yesterday was almost like spring and winter. Who knows what tomorrow will be?
0: hmm I know the feeling all too well the weather's been kind of up and down here in Texas but most of the time it's hot yes yes that's what I hear (laughs) okay well we'll just go ahead and dive in in one of the stories you wrote about your first birthday party and where you had to choose your future can you tell us a little bit about that and how it shaped your life
1: Sure. So it's a tradition in Korean families. It's called the doljanchi where um, you're celebrating the child's first birthday, and a few items are put out in front of the child, and the child kind of picks something that they are drawn to. And so there are traditional items. There's usually something representing kind of... Um, academics, uh, writing, and sometimes um, there are things uh, with specific careers. So I have seen in modern dojanji, people putting like stethoscopes out there for their kids to pick from for a future doctor, or I saw one somebody put out a golf club. So things like that, along with other symbolic um, items like rice and a specific kind of bundle of thread to indicate uh, wealth and longevity in life. And uh, the story in my family is that I went straight for the pencil and that that uh, story was told over and over throughout my childhood. And that meant that I was going to do well in school and that I might someday become some sort of writer. And so that was the narrative that I heard all through life. And I think that there was something about that I didn't feel pressure from that I just kept hearing it as some sort of opportunity to live into something that you know I picked as a one-year-old that I thought was you know pretty and shiny
0: Wow well that's amazing because now you are a writer
1: I am I know
0: <laughs> Okay so can you tell us a little bit more about the differences between Asian family expectations and those that we have in the western culture Sure.
1: And I will say, I think this is the trick with kind of the broad term of Asian, that that represents like, oh, I can't even remember how many different languages and countries, and that even that term of Asian American is more of a sociopolitical political label than it is a specific culture. But I can speak to being the child of immigrants. My parents came in 1971. I was eight months old when I immigrated to the US. Mm -hmm. And um, kind of the different values that were communicated to me through my parents and the immigrant church. And then some of the, the values that I heard as being common amongst my other Asian American friends broadly. And I would say that there's this very strong emphasis on family. So we're talking blood family, but we're also talking about family in terms of um, culture. So there'd be your family at church or maybe that community family that was very much a part of your Asian experience. And so for me, that community would have been the immigrant church where everybody was considered a part of Uh, like a bigger group that had an investment in my life. They wanted to know what was going on and they could say things to me. They could speak into my life. Um, And then there was the value of um, our elders. Mm -hmm. So um, the kind of respect that elders hold, I think in traditional Asian um, cultures is one that I think uh, one of the big differences in just kind of a simple thing is that I never knew the first names of anyone older than say,
0: hmm,
1: 10 years of me. Right. So like um, there was no like, and even in my church experience, it wasn't like auntie so-and-so it was maybe so-and-so's mother or elder so-and-so. Right. Mm -hmm. But there were no first names. It was always last names. And so I just assumed that, you know, growing up, like older people just didn't have first names. It wasn't important to me to know. And so that was definitely one of those signifiers that um, that name, title, kind of place in uh, maybe your church or in society was really important. Um, you know, it was the having non-Asian friends, and I will specifically say white friends, who kind of knew the first names of family members. So again, that didn't happen for me. It was really, um, so in the Korean language, there are um, words, um, uh, honorary terms to use for anybody older than you. So it could be older sister, called by a younger sister, right? So it's all gender and related to kind of how you land in the family. And so my younger sister calls me Ani, which is not my name. It's just a term used by a younger sister for her older sister. So those types oh, wow, of beautiful. things, yeah. So those types of things are built into language that doesn't translate right here into the U.S. and Western culture. You just call each other by first names.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Even the idea of somebody who is older than you in the work setting, or like a mentor, there is a there is a word in there are words in the Korean language, Hubei and sunbae. The kind of the mentor and the younger person is all built and you know there are lots of negatives to that kind of hierarchy but there are also a lot of positives in understanding the value system kind of where people land in relationship to you Um, I think tied to that I always heard that you are expected to provide for your elders so there was no sense of like a retirement account Your retirement account was that you would have children and then your children would take care of you in your old age. Mm -hmm. And then um, there was a high value for um, academic success. And I think part of that is the understanding that is tied to Western culture value in that And I would say this is more capitalism across the board, right? That you need money in order to succeed. And as the child of immigrants, that success was going to be tied to my academic achievements to provide inroads to career opportunities. And so, you know, I may have picked that pencil and academia, but writing definitely was not one of those, like, yeah, that's gonna make you a lot of money. kind right. of years. it wasn't the doctor it wasn't the lawyer no no not at all not at all it's long suffering that's what it is
0: <laughs> I'm I'm dead <laughs> So how did they react? This is not one of the questions that I sent you, but how did they react when you told them you want to be a writer or when you first started your career?
1: Yeah. So I started my career out of college as a newspaper reporter. Okay, And so they had a category for that. And it wasn't a great category. It was definitely like, oh, so you know, do you want to go into television? So that was the category of like, well, we've only seen maybe one Asian American woman on TV at that time. Is that what you want to aspire to? And I was like, no, not really. I, I don't want to be on camera. I want to be just typing words into right. a computer. Um, And then I went to vocational ministry and my dad was a pastor, so they had a category for that, but also not what they anticipated their college educated daughter would do.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and not only that, but in the ministry I was at, I was raising my own support, so in their mind, I was begging for money, so not a great um, alternative to newspaper reporting, and then when I left uh, vocational ministry a few years ago and said that I wanted to focus on writing and then figuring out what was next, again, it was, wait, so you're still not going to have a real job? (laughs) Um, And so I think what that is, is um, trying to understand each other's point of view
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: kind of cultural values and trying to find ways to communicate how I am taking the very things that God has given to me as talents and passions and translate that into something that might make some money
0: and actually be a catalyst for good. Well, you shared that you were a PK or are a PK. Mm-hmm. So I share that in common with you, but that'll probably tie into some of your next answer. How did you come to learn about God's expectations for you in spite of, you know, what your family kind of had in store for you in spite of what you thought you wanted to do and how sure. did that change your life? Sure, it was
1: complicated. I'm still learning what God expects. Right? <laughs> and and hopes for me, right? And hopes for me. Um, And I think growing up in the, the church setting that I was at and the language gap becoming bigger and bigger, the older I got, I think I began to kind of mix the expectations that my parents and maybe culture and society had for me with what God had for me. And uh, my dad became a pastor when I was already in college. And so it was also a very strange experience to suddenly find myself in a fishbowl when I didn't grow up in that, you know, I was part of the fishbowl. So I was in the water and maybe I was a fish looking at the, you know, the pastor's family's fish. Right. <laughs> but I, I wasn't, it. you could get it, but I wasn't that fish. And so I think I am continually, even now in my early 50s, kind of unpacking what did I think God wanted from me, and what is it that God actually has for me, and that I think I grew up thinking that God expected me to X, right, to produce to do, to make money, to give to the church, right? Those types of things and having to slowly unpack that and say, actually, that's not what God expects of me. It is an invitation to kind of take those talents and gifts and instead of burying them, to use them out in the world so that that brings about not only my joy, but also the joy and flourishing of others that may or may not be tied with financial success and security. But I would say that it has opened up opportunities to connect with folks like this. I mean, more than Serving Tea is 16 years old. That book has been around for a long time and that people are still kind of finding that the first time is so exciting to me.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, we were all really excited when we found this book because we never knew it existed. We stumbled across it and we all started reading and everybody was like, oh my gosh, like, guess what I just learned? Or, oh, I just got this piece of wisdom. And so we're just really honored that you agreed to come on tonight's episode. Yes, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled. Thank you so much. So another thing that you talk about in um, Pulled by Expectations is the story of Mary and Martha and how Martha was like okay I need to serve these people like this is what comes first first sorry and Mary was just really focused on sitting at the feet of Jesus so in Luke 10 38 through 42 Jesus kind of tells Martha like hey Mary chose what is better so how do you choose what is better now
1: Ah, uh, yeah, that's a great question. And I'm still stumbling through that 16 years later. <laughs> um, I think I want listeners and viewers to know, you know, Jesus says that Mary picked better, but he also does not condemn Martha, mm-hmm. right? He doesn't say, yeah, you, that was bad, fail, um, you need to like redo everything. And I think that is the beauty of it, that it's a both and, right? He didn't say you can't have what you have and you can't do what you're doing, Martha. But in this moment and in this time, she chose better. And I think it's trying to understand what are my motivations? And when I am acting out in those motivations, am I getting angry? Am I expecting others to respond to my giving and my service in such a way that if they don't behave that way, I become bitter or I become frustrated or angry? So I look at Martha and I think there's nothing wrong with what she was doing, just like there was nothing wrong with what Mary was doing, but I think it's what their responses were, right? Martha was just frustrated and was like, look at my sister, she's doing Is absolutely she doing nothing. nothing. Yeah, like she's I need just help. sitting there, hello. And I think that's the moment where I find myself going, oh, I have not chosen the better thing. I have chosen to serve with an expectation that people are going to act a certain way because I'm doing this thing. Whereas Mary has no expectation, right? And I think that's the invitation that Jesus has for us. And so I am always wanting to check myself, especially when I'm running around like Martha. Mm-hmm. right like
0: and it's so I, easy to do nowadays isn't
1: it it is it is even i mean it was it was a hard thing during the first couple of months of the global pandemic to not have to run around doing all sorts of things because so many things were shut down mm-hmm. but that also was a good check for me in realizing well what happens when nobody can see what i'm doing <laughs> Do I still do those things? And then do I do them and feel angry that no one is like thanking me for that or offering to help, right? Because the world tried to shut down. So I think that is, that is what I am still learning from Mary and Martha. It isn't an either or, right? Life is never a simple binary, but I think the invitation is still to find ways in which we are sitting at the feet of Jesus. And that could be serving at coffee hour or fellowship hour at church. But if you're gonna do it and be like, "Mm, why is she just sitting there enjoying her coffee and not helping me? I think that's that's the moment of self-reflection.
0: Yeah, do it without expectation. Yeah. So speaking of expectations, how do you handle the expectations of being a Christian Asian American woman in your life today?
1: Well, sometimes I have words that I will not speak on this podcast (laughs) and on the recording. Um, I think uh, uh, the older I get, the less I care Mm -hmm. about some of those expectations. Partly because one, I'm too old to fulfill some of those expectations, like it's past. I can't, I can't be that scholar. I can't be that theologian with the letters. I mean, I could, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, that's not, that's not God's invitation to me. Um, And I think uh, the other part of it is what are some of the expectations that I kind of wanted to push back on simply out of rebellion, okay, right, I didn't good. want that, right, like that's a stereotype, when actually that is part of my gifting, and I love doing that, I just maybe didn't see it uh, reflected in the world around me, or that's not considered leadership in the Christian world, where some churches have had this practice of reading business books about leadership mm-hmm. and then kind of translating that into Christian words and throwing right. a couple Bible verses, right? And realizing, oh, maybe some of the things I push back on, I actually love and enjoy doing. But out of kind of like, well, I don't want to be that kind of woman mm-hmm. in my 30s, 20s, early 40s, I was like, and the older I got was like, no, actually I love, I love being that person who gathers people in my home and invites people into my space. And I don't care what it looks like because I really don't, except right now, like you can't see the unmade bed on the other side <laughs> of the camera. <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's how I, how I keep working through that. And I really appreciated um, my Asian American sisters mm-hmm. um, who are older, same age, younger, right? Who have um, a pulse on different seasons of life and what the world is shouting at them. And I didn't have social media in my 20s and 30s. And oh, I,
0: better.
1: <laughs> right? Oh my gosh. But this. But even things like this, right? A podcast or YouTube didn't exist when I was starting out in this kind of sphere, and now I think, oh my goodness, what some of the women feel like they have to do, mm-hmm. um, and and to get their stuff out there. I just think, oh, I I don't think I would do it if I if if I were my twenty something year old me now. I think I just feel like.
0: okay that makes complete sense that makes complete sense and i think that's something that all of the women who are listening to this episode needed to hear um it's so easy to fall into what we think we're supposed to do and just these roles that society has given us and our families have given us and so just knowing that we can fully embrace who we are and who god has called us to be that's just a great reminder
1: it's hard. It's, I mean, I think we need that reminder every day and maybe several times every day. And then I think particularly, I will say this for women of color, that um, the expectations for us are double, triple.
0: You have
1: to be good. You do, you do. And that's a message I think so many of us heard growing up And that we live, like there is a reality behind that, that was not a lie that our elders told us. And I think the the challenge there is, how do we not, um, how do we not kill ourselves in the reality of who we are, the talents we've been given, the opportunities we want to pursue and What I see out there is right the grind kind of and and we were not meant for that. And yet I see even myself this push to be always producing in order to feel like we have influence on people's lives. And um, it's a challenge to stay grounded.
0: Mm -hmm. It really is. It really, it really is, mm-hmm. and I think the pandemic helped people start to realize that. Because for a while we were just going through the motions and just didn't care, but now with everybody having to deal with those lockdowns in the beginning, it caused everyone to just kind of slow down and realize, like, hey, we need to rest. It's yeah, it's okay to rest. Yes, it's it's critical. It's critical to rest. Okay, so we're gonna switch and talk about the freedom and sexuality piece. So you tell a story about your daughter's birth, your first child, and based on the comments from your family, what did you feel and why?
1: Mm. Oh, I felt um, there were so many complicated feelings around that. Um, And I had no complicated feelings around giving birth to my daughter. So I want listeners and viewers to understand Um, she was born, I was thrilled and I think the complicated feelings came when cultural expectations pushed up against that. Mm -hmm. Um, some of our Asian cultures, uh, value men and boys, um, with those cultural expectations of the ones who will carry the family name, who will earn the money, who are more valuable than daughters, that all of that. And that strain showed its ugly head in um, my family. And um, and I also got strange comments, although they're not strange because I think people um, my fellow Korean Americans will understand. I think many of them will understand. I got comments about my daughter's appearance and she's a newborn. So take that with a grain of salt that she was born with um, creased eyelids, right? So again, it's a cultural value of what beauty is and and that she would save money, she would save me and my husband money because she would not need surgery for her eyelids, right? This presumption that maybe down the road, we would want her to have surgery for her eyelids or her for for her face. And, um, and that just, that brought up a lot of complicated feelings for me being the older daughter of two girls. So being actually in a family that had no sons. And then when I got married, I kept my last name. So I did not take my husband's last name legally. Okay. Yeah, and so so it brought up all of these issues around how do I honor the elders in my family, speaking respectfully to them without losing it Mm -hmm. immediately postpartum after getting some of these comments and I will say I mean I didn't handle it great I just kind of ignored it and didn't say anything I can't blame you you know um but but the flip side of that would be wanting and communicating to my daughter as she was growing up that she was beautiful inside and out, and that she was exactly the way God had meant for her to be, that her eyes were beautiful, her two dimples were amazing, the mole that she has on her face is just distinctive, and she isn't her without that, right, and, and wanting her to know that her value was not in her gender, Mm-hmm. Right, and, and not in her, her sex or sexuality, but that who she is. And gender and sexuality is part of that, but not the only thing. Um, and really trying to protect her and give her tools to know and recognize when those cultural values showed up.
0: Okay, so you touched on, you touched a little bit on the value that women, I mean that, oh, sorry. Okay. No. Sorry. Okay. When I get nervous, I start stumbling. So I got this. Okay. (laughs) You touched a little bit on the value that men have in Asian culture. So Mm -hmm. why do you think it's so important that Asian women specifically and other women know that God didn't make a mistake when he created them?
1: Mm. My goodness, that is a loaded question and so important. So I'll say broadly for women, um, especially in some church settings,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? Culture, um, Asian American, Black, across the board, churches, Christian spaces, some of us were taught that women are lesser, wrong, wrong. Um, we are not lesser. We are we are the helpmate, not as in like, oh, I'm here to serve you, but as somebody who goes to battle with somebody, that word Azer is not a like, oh, somebody who just does the soft, easy things. This is a very specific term. Um, and that we are not mistakes. <laughs> I will say specifically for women of color, there are so many messages we get about all of our being, our bodies, down to our hair, you know that, right? Our eyes, our facial features, our skin tone, everything, our mannerisms, how we talk, when we talk, what we wear, what we wear, when we wear it, right? Like everything across the board for women, but specifically for women of color. Mm -hmm. We here in the United States and maybe broadly North America are really told to fit into a very specific mold. Yep. And, you know, I mean, when you look at, the diversity of creation, and the diversity of skin tones, eye shapes, hair color, natural and dyed, you know, God is not boring. Mm -hmm. God is not boring. And I, even in nature, when I think of flowers, you can compare two flowers, the same flower, the same color, and yet they're not the same. They're not identical. They are not. And so I I want specifically women of color to know, we do not need to fit into this white box. Mm -hmm. We do not need to fit into um, this category of what beauty is or what femininity looks like or specifically what a christian woman looks and sounds like and does Mm -hmm. and that i think is going to
0: still take a lot of time (laughs) It it is there's a lot to unpack there yeah but it's our job as christian women to kind of counter that message so how do we do it
1: um you uh you have to take courage To live into some of those um, differences that we have in our bodies, in our um, talents and giftings, in our communities, in our values that may not play out neatly in our specific church or church setting, Um, we need to find um, other women to journey with and we need other women to learn from. And they may not and should not all look like you, sound like you, believe everything you do. But I think that we um, can really limit ourselves if we're only looking at people who believe the exact same things that we do and choose the same whatever that we do. And I think that's where I've learned and drawn a lot of courage from is finding other examples of women who kind of break the mold. Um, I say women, um, and again, I think for women of color, when we make mistakes, the cost is higher. Mm -hmm. Knowing that I want to encourage my sisters of color, um, we need to make mistakes. We're not perfect. And in that kind of lie that being fully ourselves means being perfect, I think too many of us are killing ourselves. We are literally starving ourselves to death. Mm -hmm. We are not addressing our mental health. We are um, not finding or know of resources that are out there because we're so um, afraid someone's going to figure out that we're not who we say we are or think we are? Yeah. How else do we live into the fullness of who we are created? Um, I, I've i been kind of wrestling with this, especially during the last two years with the pandemic of what does it mean to find um, Uh, pockets of joy in my life and you know what 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 because out of that space also comes creativity and a connection to the world around us Um, so you can learn from mistakes and those are actually good things but we don't always frame mistakes as a positive thing Um, joy can really right it's 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 framed very negatively, but I would also say trying to find those pockets of joy is a lot harder than just like being happy, right? So being happy, like being happy, I don't know, like watching my favorite TV show elicits a feeling of happy, but that's not joy. Like that's, that is not really deep connecting something in my soul that points back to God. That's what I think of as like really, what gives me joy. And, um, I think for us as women and Christian women, we need to be able to have a few things that we can name that bring us deep joy so that we see God being generous and beautiful and creative for us and with us.
0: So who are some of those women that you really rely on?
1: So, um, I just got to see um, several women just this past weekend. We call ourselves the Napa ladies. Uh, Yeah, I know it sounds really fancy, it's not. So 10 years ago, there was an Asian American Christian women's conference and we all happened to be at the conference at the time. One of the women was one of the co-creators of the conference, Nikki Toyama Zito. And I was one of the speakers. And then there were seven other women and we just kind of bonded somehow. We all were like, hey, do you wanna go out to eat? And we we're all like, yes. Um, hey, do you wanna go out for Boba? Yes, and we just kind of found ourselves as a group. And, um, and then the group, decided that it wanted to keep getting together. So the following year they went to Napa and I say they, because I did not go and somehow what? that name stuck. Yeah, I couldn't go, but I really wanted to. And I let them know, I was like, I can't make it this year but I wanna, you know, if you do it again, I'm happy to go, I I wanna go. So somehow the, the name stuck, it was Napa Ladies and we've never been back. Um, and we have gotten together every year minus the two years of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, And we gathered virtually during the first year of the pandemic. And um, I would say these women have been uh, a great example of community that I think is a little more accessible for people. Okay, so none of us, I don't live near any of them.
0: Okay, you're all spread
1: out. We're all spread out. There are a couple in California that can are much closer and actually live in proximity to each other. But us as a group, we are not all in one city. And um, and uh, we have stayed in touch really by text and emails. And it's getting a little out of control, but um, that is how we've stayed in touch. And when something is happening, we text the group and we pray for each other, or if we've like discovered some new, like. I don't know skincare that we really love. We'll text it, and you know that happens. But on a heavier note, when there is crisis happening, we know that these are the women who will literally drop everything and pray,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and try to figure out is there something that we can do, or send, or um, or network to provide for one of ours um, in a time of need. We've had the luxury and the privilege of being able to gather every year. So that is not necessarily accessible to everyone. And yet we found during the pandemic, we couldn't travel, right? So again, thanks to Zoom, we were able to get together. And um, these are women, when we get together, people ask, so what do you do? We literally eat, talk, share, pray. That's what we do. We go on a walk, we're talking about life, the questions we have about growing older or children or marriage or church or leadership and careers. And then before we leave, our time is spent praying for one another and we leave. And we won't see each other for another year maybe as a group. Um, And I think that kind of community felt more important during the pandemic because we were never in each other's lives on a daily basis in that way um, and then you have the neighborhood friends right um and i think people know like the older you get it's hard to make
0: friends it is it is it is and Nobody i'm that you. old i'm only 25 but it is yes. so hard once it's like school yes you're not seeing people constantly hmm I'm yeah, people. Yeah,
1: it really is. And I tell um, when I used to be in college ministry, I would tell freshmen, this is your cha- this is the easiest time to make friends, because this is the only time where you will literally leave your doors open and just let people wander in the, the each year of college. You shut the door more and more and you kind of get into your group of people But as a freshman, you don't, you know, you're like, hey, I want to meet everybody. So um, it's even harder as an adult and super hard the older you get. Um, And so, again, you have to put yourself out there and find ways to make friends, not dates, friends. And maybe you're going on dates with people who might be your friends, right? Like you go into big gatherings of people and try to like, is this somebody I connect with and we could hang out with and eh, you know, you're finding you your way. That. Right. Yeah. So um, finding those kind of neighborhood friends who can show up on your doorstep um, and drop off cookies, <laughs> banana bread, um, soup, um, other beverages, if you're so inclined. And then, um, And then for those of us who are active in a church to find friends there as well. And they don't all have to be in your life stage.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, I think that,
1: that it's important to have friends who are married and single and older and younger and be a person who is open to friendships that are not just your peers
0: they all have something different to kind of teach you and add to it.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay, that's good. Okay. So speaking of everyone just kind of embracing each other and building a community, um, as women of color, we really have to stick together. So what are some ways that you think we can advocate for each other? Oh, that
1: is so hard and easy. <laughs> okay. So One thing I would say is that um, we need to learn from each other about each other's communities, Mm -hmm. right? And so, um, you know, in the last two years, there were so many books, anti-racism books, that hit the New York Times bestseller. And I'm like, did people read them? Because I feel like people bought them, but maybe they didn't read them and they just were really pretty on their nightstands. Um, And that goes for women of color. We cannot assume we know everything about each other's communities based on what we see out in pop culture and in society because we're not fully represented in those spaces. And so um, um, educate yourself and this goes for all women, but educate yourself, read the books that you bought um
0: don't just post them on Instagram (laughs) right
1: seriously because like people bought a lot of books and I'm not convinced that anybody read them um right? And so educate yourself. You don't have to just read books. There are plenty of movies. There's plenty out there on social media, news platforms, even flipping through magazines that you don't necessarily um, pick up on a regular basis. Maybe just go to the library and check things out. So there are a lot of ways to learn. And then in your relationships, ask questions. You're going to make mistakes. And then when something happens, should not be the only time you advocate for other women of color, right? So, That's f- right. So I feel like, um, you know, the last couple of weeks have been really, as I, I, I posted on Instagram, a lot of poo-poo and caca, a lot of bad stuff happening again to the Asian American community and to the Black community. And um, I have friends we show up for each other in these times of crisis, but really what's so important is that we're checking up on each other, not just after the latest shooting. Right. (laughs) Right. And we're checking in with each other, like, Hey, have you like had enough water today? And I saw that post, how are you doing? Or, you know, I, I, I read something, it made me think of you, like check on each other because the big performative ally stuff is really easy. Mm -hmm. I mean, tons of people posted black squares on Instagram. I don't really see how that changed a whole lot, if anything, for black America and specifically black Christians. Like what did that change? It was super easy, but um, so who are you actually in relationship to and how can you support them and be their ally on a day-to-day basis? When you hear a microaggression, when you hear racist stuff in your neighborhood, in your church, in your workplace, are you gonna say something? Are you going to pull that person aside or blurt something out in the context of that group and that racist comment? Are you going to be an ally when things are, are happening in real life? Mm-hmm. And then are you going to be there for your other women of color um, when they are celebrating?
0: That's good. And Not just when things are bad, but when things are yeah. good.
1: Absolutely. So as a writer and author, I love it when my other women of color are launching books and they're writing or they have a byline and I tell them, let me know. I want, I want to be your cheerleader and let other people know. And again, I may not agree with everything you do, but there is something about finding spaces to elevate other voices. And I think as a writer, that's easily one of them that I can do.
0: Those are all good. I really like that. Be an ally all the time, not just some of the time, not just when things yeah. are good, not just when things are bad, all right. the time. Tell them right. Those are all the questions that we have for you. So thank you so much for your time, Kathy. It's really been a pleasure. Galaxy, please make sure you show Kathy some love by visiting kathykong.com and following her on social media at Miss Kathy Kong. If you didn't quite catch those, they'll be included in this month's description as well. That is the end of our episode, so be sure to visit galonline.org and follow us on social media for a sneak peek on next month's book club pick and our next podcast topic.